Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Wednesday, October 5th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Another big college football weekend is approaching. They're all big when the teams are playing well, and that's the case in our corner of the world. We discuss Kansas with beat writer Gary Bedour. The Jayhawks are basking in the national spotlight, undefeated, ranked, ESPN's game day coming to town for the game against TCU. All great stuff for Kansas. Missouri's coming off its second straight heartbreaking loss, this one to top-ranked Georgia. The Tigers have played great defense the past couple weeks, and you'll hear from head coach Eli Drinkwitz from his meeting with reporters this week. And Kansas State and Iowa State prepare for Farmageddon in Ames. Love that nickname. Beat writer Callis Robinette breaks down the game in which the Wildcats will continue to lean on quarterback Adrian Martinez and running back Deuce Vaughn as they go up against a desperate Cyclones team that has lost two straight. Okay, let's get started. Gary Bedore covers KU for the Star and the Wichita Eagle, and you're covering, still covering, an undefeated football team. It's almost unfathomable to, to think about that, but not only are they undefeated, Here comes ESPN's game day. Never been to Kansas, and they have been to a KU home game, however. Uh, Maybe you were there in 2007 uh, when they played Missouri at Arrowhead. Uh, Oh, yeah. The game day crew was there, and it was Kansas's home game, but it was not on, you know, obviously not on the campus. So this is the first time on campus. Do we know where they're going to set up yet? Uh, Yeah. KU announced on a tweet last night, it'll be on Campanile Hill. Uh, I was just writing up a little thing so people can see it on the star website soon, but uh, I was going to bat it out last night, but I was a little confused by the map. It's, (laughs) it's an okay map, but it's, it's right behind uh, the South end of Booth Memorial stadium. And it'll be about halfway up the hill and the Campanile and the fans should be in the shot because they'll put the cameras facing uh, up the hill. So that's pretty much KU's most historic spot on campus. So that'll work out well for everybody. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a uh, logistic problem with the game against TCU starting at 11 AM. Uh, what are the students, you know, usually these things have, you know, they're, they're packed with the students, right? They get all the, the energy from the students, but the, the game day lasts until 11 a.m. Central time. So are they going to, are students going to disappear from the camera and into the stadium? Because Kansas doesn't want to start a football game without students in the, in the stands. I'm, I'm just wondering how that's going to. Oh, I think, um, I think that portion outside the stadium ends about 10 and okay. then they must have, you know, a less intricate thing to be set up in the stadium, like they do at Allen Fieldhouse when game day comes. Probably, they all they do is go on the floor level and sit there. So, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, around ten o'clock the game day will shift into the stadium. Okay, well. What a cool deal, though, for Kansas, isn't it, Gary? I mean, you've, you've been to all the, the basketball games in which, you know, the, the game day crew comes to that and the students have a great time with it. And I, I, I think it's a, it's a great thing that, that ESPN does to promote the sport. And 
Um, the fact that they're at Kansas this week on the weekend where Texas and Oklahoma play the Red River rivalry in the Cotton Bowl. And there are other you know, major games going on in college football. They're going to be at Kansas versus TCU. Who saw this coming? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just couldn't see it coming, uh, obviously. But uh, for them, I think ESPN just figured it's just too good. You've got two undefeated teams. Now they're both ranked. And uh, with Lance Leipold being an intriguing guy, just popping onto the national scene. And Jalen Daniels got off to such a great start. There's all these things that they can focus on. So uh, not coming for the Duke game. I, I forget. I think that it was Tennessee, Florida that week or something. Right, in Knoxville, they, yeah. They just probably see a good story and and wanted to, to reward KU while they're hot. This three-game homestand has really been perfect for KU because nobody expected them probably to sweep that two-game road trip. And when they did, this opportunity was there for KU to make it a special season if they could stay hot. They did. And now game day's coming, and uh, it yeah. should be great for KU again. They're just on this roll right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, it'll be the third straight home sellout, uh, which Duke, Iowa State, and, and now TCU. I Heck, they may sell out the rest of the season. Who, who knows? Um, yeah. Great advertisement for the school and the program. And you're right, you know, game day is basically a two-hour advertisement for the you know, for the school, three hours, I forgot how long it's on, maybe three hours, but um, uh, one of the storylines that they're, they're going to, I'm sure they're, they're going to talk a lot about is, is Lance Leipold and the job he's done at KU. In addition to that, the fact that the Wisconsin job came open this week, you know, a couple of weeks after the Nebraska job came open. And if you looked at Lance Leipold's resume, you could see that, you know, he has, yeah. You know, he not only is he from Wisconsin, but he, you know, he coached, he was a graduate assistant at Wisconsin and he coached at Nebraska under Frank Solich. So two places that he's very familiar with and, uh, you know, helped, you know, create his, you know, help shape his coaching life uh, are, are, you know, at Nebraska, at Wisconsin, both of those jobs are open now. It's almost like, you know, couldn't Kansas have a year to enjoy this mm. without having to think about, you know, where Lance, Le Lance Leipold might go next, but, just like a couple of weeks ago, you know, he was asked about Nebraska. And of course, on Tuesday this week, he was asked about Wisconsin. And what did he have to say about uh, the latest job opening? He just said that uh, asked about distractions of game day and jobs. If he's addressed it with the team, he said game day. Yes. Uh, the, and then he said the other thing. Uh, he goes, I don't. He said something like, I don't spend any time talking about that. Uh, and he did not address that with him. And he just repeated that he's, I think it was, I'm happy here. We're happy here. And we don't have any plans on leaving or something like that. Right. Basically what he said two weeks ago. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He just said that again. And he said game day wouldn't be a big distraction because it's so early. The game is at 11 and they'll just get off the bus and do what they normally do. They won't have any, <clears throat> probably nobody will be there live for game day, I wouldn't think. But uh, <clears throat> the job thing, 
Wisconsin uh, is a natural. I mean, the guy is from Wisconsin. He was born <laughs> born there. He coached at Whitewater, won all these titles there, uh, and he's got to have this fond love for the the big institution in the state because he worked there too, I believe. He um, did. Yeah, he was a grad assistant on but Barry Alvarez. The thing about Wisconsin job, the whole thing is that. Uh, Jim, is it pronounced Leonard? Because it's spelled different. Their interim coach is beloved there. I know a lot of people, since I'm from Chicago, that are Badger fans. And I was asking them to tell the truth about this. And they said, no, we love this guy. So, and there was some speculation he st- the assistant coach Leonard stayed and did- turned down some other jobs because he might be kind of like the coach in waiting if Paul Christ ever left. Uh, so is this guy, the interim, going to be on trial the rest of the season? If, if he does, is there actually going to be him trying to prove that he is the man to replace the former coach? Because if it does open up, uh, you would think Leipold has to be one or two or number one on their list. I don't know anything about their AD or anything, but it's such a natural (laughs) that poor KU. uh, I mean, we don't know Lance yet, really. And uh, it could be a slam dunk for him for all we know. You know, yeah. Dream, dream job opens up. But I do think if you read and look into this a little more, that their interim coach is more than a slight possibility, especially if Wisconsin gets it together. And I was talking to some people there who don't think their football team is going to have much of a season at all. And that would mean, you know, Will they rush negotiations with Lance? Will they try to do it during the season? Will this story get weird? I doubt it. You know, yeah, you would yeah, think they would interfere with some, but college athletics is zany. Three jobs, Nebraska, Colorado, and uh, Wisconsin are already open. It's, you know, it's a new world, like Leipold said this week at his presser, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we're Maybe already there. KU fans should just enjoy what's going on. And if if Lance ends up at his in-state school, what can you do if you're KU except uh, trust your new AD who's had a good start at KU, you know, getting Bill Self a lifetime contract, although that happened right before Goff got here. But just just enjoy this and if a guy goes to his dream school, there's really nothing you can do about it. And you couldn't blame him either. I don't know. I don't think, you know, you, you'd be sad for Kansas fans who are, like you said, enjoying this, this season, but you couldn't blame, you couldn't blame Lance if, if that is his dream job to go there and, uh, and be the head coach. But it's interesting what you said about the interim. I didn't realize that. So yeah, that's, that is also something to keep an eye on and, and Kansas fans should continue to, watch uh the badgers and see if if they can turn around a little bit and have a little success and make the interim a more attractive candidate for the job um 
Hey, Gary, let's let's talk briefly about Daniel Hinshaw. The Jayhawks got a tough break with with his injury. Um, he's not going to play against the Horned Frogs on Saturday. What is what, what are the what is KU's options at running back? Well, uh, Devin Neal is the primary guy still and uh, having a good year. Yep. Uh, now you've got Sevian Morris in the transfer from Nebraska who had a nice kick return in the last game, but real fast. And it should be interesting because you would think he'll get a lot of carries now and see what he's got. But uh, like a lot of these portal guys, the word on him was that he had a great camp. So, and he, He's carried the ball a little bit, and he's really fast, like I said. Then you got uh, other possibilities. Tory Lachlan is on the running back charts. He's he's done okay whenever he's come in. And uh, you've lost Hyshaw in the deep running back position, but like Leipold said, uh, we've always said this is one of our deepest positions. So uh, let's show it, Leipold said, and uh, they probably still should be okay because Devin Neal has not been overused at all. Um, he's carried the ball, but but uh, he'll now get some more carries and let's see what Morrison does and Tory Lachlan. And if I'm going brain dead, I might have forgot one other back. If I did, sorry. <laughs> uh, Kai Thomas has he gotten? Uh... Kai Thomas. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because that's yeah, that would have been huge to forget because he's had some kind of injury, um, maybe turf toe or something. But they don't reveal injuries anymore in college much. But anyway, Kai Thomas. Uh, from Minnesota, had a great year at Minnesota last year and was expected to get a lot of carries here. I think that injury has held him back a little, but he might uh, get the carries before Sevian even. Hmm. So big, big there. One of those two, I could see one of those two guys having a big game if KU wins. Right. Well, I, I think there will be a lot of points uh, in this game uh, for uh, both teams. TCU with Max Duggan, such such a good offense as they proved last week against Oklahoma. That was quite an astounding outcome, the way they handled OU. And um, I'm glad you corrected my pronunciation of Hyshaw. Uh, I, I tried to give him an N that he doesn't have in his last name. So, all right, Gary, let's, uh, let's wrap it up and uh, we'll talk again next week. Have fun with all the all the hoopla in Lawrence yeah. on, on Saturday. That should, that should be fun to just to, just to check it out and to see what's going on on the, yeah. at a KU football game. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the star sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is sports pass for 1299 a month. You get unlimited digital access to all of the star sports content, including beat writing columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening.
Missouri is a few plays away from having an outstanding season and being undefeated instead of winless in SEC play. It's progress, Tigers coach Eli Drinkwitz says, and he's right. Playing top-ranked Georgia to the final minute and coming off a how-did-it-happen loss at Auburn is moving in the right direction. Here are some other thoughts from the Mizzou coach from his meeting with reporters this week as the Tigers prepare to play at Florida. It's easy to uh, look at the obstacles or say, I've been doing this for so long, but it's not working. It's kind of like going on a diet. You know, I mean, just because you've done it right for 15 days and you don't get the results you want, you got to stick with it. Same thing with working out. Um, same thing with, um, you know, building a program and, and finding ways to win. You, you got to stick with the process, recreate the process every week. Uh, and I'm proud of not only our players, but our coaches not being so attached to the outcomes that they can't emotionally um, re reinvest themselves each week in the process. And I thought last week that's something that we absolutely did. We reinvested in the process and, and uh, gave ourselves an opportunity. And, and uh, you know, but this week doesn't care what last week did. This week cares about what this week's going to do. Having After you had done time to go back and look at the tape from last week, uh, you know, offensively, what did you see that you kind of liked that maybe you'd want to build on this week? Anything encouraging there? Yeah, I mean, I thought there was a lot of things encouraging going against that defense, score 22 points, um, you know, um, I thought we were able to run the football effectively. We, um, you know, created some explosive plays down the field, threw the ball down the field. Um, but ultimately, we had too many uh, drives that came up empty as far as touchdowns in the red zone and obviously critical penalties and critical situations. And we've got to improve in third downs. But, um, you know, I thought there was a lot of things that, that uh, were good from that game. Having Bounce back last week, like you said, coming off such a tough game. Is it easier to do this week, harder to do, no different, you know, having to do it a second week in a row? Um, we'll find out. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. It's it's going to be up to the coaching staff to be resilient um, and the players to be resilient. And, again, not attach themselves to the outcome, but attach themselves to the process. And, um, you know, we know what – uh, it takes and what it looks like in order to play that way, and and you got to recharge yourself emotionally, and you got to figure out how to <clears throat> dig deep. And the only thing guaranteed in the game is a win and a loss, so that's the only outcome that's going to matter. And you got to reinvest yourself, knowing that either one of those is an option. So, Eli, having coached against uh, Napier in the Sun Belt, is there much carryover in what what he does and what his teams are about when you watch him? Yeah, fundamentally sound, control the lines of scrimmage, don't beat themselves, um, tactically very sound. Obviously, uh, Coach Napier uh, is very aggressive in fourth downs. Um, he's been that way for a long time. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of similarities in what they they do scheme-wise. Obviously, when, I, when, when we were at Appalachian State, um, Dave Roberts was the defensive coordinator, but Coach Tony was on the staff. So I think there's some familiarity and consistency there. Um, I mean, I think defensively we came out uh, and stopped them. Three plays, created field position for us offensively. Um, in those two games, uh, both drives, they were uh, 12, 14-play drives that led to touchdowns. So, um, and in both games, I mean, against K-State, we scored first. But, uh, you know, I think that's probably a lot of it, coming out and getting a stop early, creating field position, which is what you try to do in the middle eight. 
and uh, or, or what you try to do, what we try to do is is create an opportunity for us to double up possessions. Obviously, I think we end up tying the middle eight um, this past weekend, but. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, when you, you know, you go into training today and for the next few days, do you have, at this point in the season, do you have to readjust the way you teach some of those things or, or do you keep going for the same process? Yeah, I mean, jumping, flinching on a cadence uh, is discipline. And, and, you know, we've had the conversation, is there something inflection-wise that we're doing? Um, but that's got to get corrected. Um, and then uh, penalties as far as holding and um, – Legal hands to the face. I mean, that's got to be better technique. Uh, there was a lot of optimism about Tyron Hopper over the summer coming into the season, but has he exceeded maybe even even what expectations you had coming into the year? Last year, he had 14 tackles against the four TFLs in a sack, so I think that was the expectation every game. He's a great young man. I'm so proud of him on our football team. Um, you know, he's really battling. He's playing a lot of plays, plays really fast, um, does what we ask him to do. Um, so he's displaying what we've, we believed he had in him. And, and um, yeah. Oh, I don't know if I knew he was going to do it every game, but I saw him in spring and thought we got a pretty good player on our hands. Um, and there, you know, here's the deal: he he's a competitor. He pre- prepares the right way, um, and I think he really trusts his teammates. I think the defensive line in front of him is playing really well, um, and he's able to play downhill. I think Coach Smith's done a really good job coaching him. I think Coach Baker's put him in um, a really good scheme fit. Um, so I, I think it's a combination of a lot of things and. And uh, it starts with him being a guy who works really hard and having been blessed with a lot of talent. Kels Robinette covers Kansas State, and it is one of my favorite games of the year. Farmageddon at uh, this year at Ames. When did it, what was it first dubbed Farmageddon? Has it always been Farmageddon since you were covering it? The first time I remember it being called that was when they um, moved the game to Arrowhead for two years. I believe that was in 2009, 2010. And that was right after Kansas and Missouri played there. And they called that Armageddon at Arrowhead. And some clever K-State fans kind of used the word Armageddon, added the F to it. Farmageddon for two ag schools. And it's amazingly stuck ever since. Uh, Originally, I I think both schools didn't kind of like the term. It was kind of you know, deemed as a joke or whatever, but it, it's actually quite appropriate. And this week, it's been funny on Twitter. You got, um, if you, you look, a bunch of Iowa State people have been throwing corn emojis on their, all their tweets, and K, K-State fans have been throwing wheat on all their tweets. So uh, I like it. We just need to get some kind of uh, tractor trophy or something to be rewarded after the game, and then we can totally complete the the, uh, the nickname. I like it. I, that, I like that idea. That would um, look, you know what? Schools like this should embrace their agricultural heritage and mission. Um, so look, yeah, yeah. The fact that it has remained the nickname, uh, I, I think is um, it's appropriate. And look, if, if one of these years like this week in Lawrence uh, game day comes for a K-State Iowa State game, I think that would be the um, uh, the, 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 the national 
embrace of Farmageddon. So, um, it, you know, for the game itself, it, it should be a good one, uh, contrasting styles. And, you know, it's funny when we talk about Iowa State and, and what happened last week, they played the game that uh, that they can win, a defensive-minded game, but they didn't win it uh, with Kansas. Four freshman kicker misses three field goals, including a 37-yarder really late in the game that would have sent it, you know, would have tied the game. But uh, but this is a absolute defensive-oriented team for for Matt Campbell, and we've seen what Kansas State's strengths are um, on both sides of the ball, but on on offense. What a you know a two-headed monster with Adrian Martinez and and Deuce Vaughn. Um, it's be difficult to expect another uh, to, for them to match the production this week that we saw last week against Texas Tech. Well, I mean, it's really been two weeks in a row now that they've just been running all over people. Yeah. Um, here's a stat for you. Uh, before now, Kansas State had never had um, two hundred-yard rushers in back-to-back games, or at least the same two. And that uh, that uh, streak was snapped this season when Adrian Martinez ran for over 100 yards against both Oklahoma and Texas Tech. Deuce Vaughn did the exact same thing. Last week was the most impressive. Both of them hit 170 on the ground, which is extremely hard to do. I thought it was appropriate. There was uh, one play in the fourth quarter, I think it was, um, where Adrian Martinez broke free for a 69-yard run, where just as it happened, as fate would have it, he ran one way, Deuce Vaughn ran another, and when the play was over, both of them might as well have just been holding hands, running in the end zone way in front of everybody else. Um, it was kind of the, the you know picture-perfect ending to a game there. They, they totally ran over Texas Tech, um, and you know it, it's, been in, it's interesting because that's not something they really did in, in the first three games, and I think that's why they, they lost to Tulane. They were holding back, for whatever reason, their, their best offensive weapon to make defenses account for uh, two runners instead of one. But now that they're doing that, uh, I mean, the, the offense looks a lot like it did when Colin Klein was quarterback, when he was running QB power, when L. Roberson and Darren Sproles were here and they were, you know, running in two different directions. It just puts a lot of pressure on defenses, especially when you go up against a team that's uh, not very good at stopping the run. It's very effective. That's uh, one thing that'll be interesting this week because uh, Iowa State is good at stuffing the run. And you just saw what they did against Jalen Daniels in Kansas. So it makes you think this week uh, maybe they might need to throw just a smidge, but we'll see. Yeah, nine yards, I think, rushing for Jalen Daniels, who had been over 100 in some games earlier mm-hmm. this year. So uh, it is it is a very good Iowa State defense. We saw that in the with their second game when they beat Iowa 10-7. to And um, what about the idea of Iowa State being a desperate team? We, we, we acknowledge they are well coached. Now, Matt Campbell has done a fantastic job in Ames. Well, now you've got a well-coached team that is 0-2 in Big 12 play, didn't expect to be 0-2, and, you know, still has, you know, still has championship aspirations and, and bowl hopes and all that. Um, can that play a factor in a game like this? I think it definitely can. Um, that's one of the first things I <clears throat> thought about when this game is that a lot of times when, when you've got a desperate team, especially at home, uh, that makes them a dangerous team. And that's what Iowa State is here. Um, it's not like they're, you know, they're a bad team. A lot of people want to write them off because they're 0-2 in the Big 12. They just lost to Kansas. Um, but they they started 3-0. Their two losses in Big 12 play were both by single digits. They played Baylor tough. Um, they, they just didn't quite have enough offense to win that one. 
Uh, they played Kansas tough. They just didn't have enough special teams to win that one. Um, so now that they're coming back home in a situation where they really need to win this game to get back on track, like you said, if they could win this game, then you're still looking at, uh, you know, four and two start, pretty decent bowl game opportunities, a lot left to play for, three and three, kind of totally different situation. You know, I'm not saying Matt Campbell will be in the hot seat or anything like that, but all of a sudden your season looks uh, much less optimistic at three and three than it does at four and two. So well, one thing that, uh, you know, they tell you to uh, keep an eye on, especially in the NFL, is um, always always bet on, you know, the desperate team, especially if they're, if they're at home. And I think that's why when you look at like what the Chiefs did against the Colts, uh, even though the Chiefs, I would argue, were a much better team than the Colts, the Colts were winless. They were at home. They were desperate. They absolutely had to win that game. They're not holding back anything in that situation. They find a way to win. Um, I'm not, you know, saying Iowa State can do the same, but you certainly have to at least apply that here. They're, they're, it's a must-win game for them. They're, they're going to come out and give them their best shot. And add to that the fact that they're an underdog too in, in this mm-hmm. game. Uh, all that can play into the fact in, into the equation. And ha- haven't the Cyclones won the last couple of games in the series? They've won two in a row and three of the last four. Um, the last two in Ames, I don't think Kleiman has ever won there. And actually the last time they went to Iowa State, uh, it was just a bloodbath. The Cyclones won 45-0. That was, however, had a little bit of an asterisk next to it. That was a COVID season when K-State went there with like one linebacker or something. It, it wasn't really a fair fight. Scott Thompson didn't play. Um, so I don't know how much you can really read into that, but it makes you think a little bit, definitely. And that was, that was also the Iowa State team that went on to win the Fiesta Bowl, right? Played in the mm-hmm. Big 12 championship mm-hmm. game and, and, and went to the Fiesta Bowl. You know, the, the Big 12 race is just crazy, right? Kansas State and Kansas atop with a 2-0, and and Oklahoma's at the bottom at, uh, at 0-2. Uh, are you of the opinion that it is anybody's race in, in the Big 12? Maybe you can eliminate a West Virginia. I, I don't know. But the, the, the fact that so many teams are, are – are, bunched um the two and oh teams at least one of them is one that was totally unexpected the oh and two team is totally unexpected is this the year that a six and three team might even play for the big 12 championship yeah i think there's a chance and to kind of add on to what you just said there think about this if, if this doesn't show you how wide open the big 12 races the season i don't know what is kansas state currently has better odds than texas and kansas currently has better odds than oklahoma um, you've never seen that before, right? You've been, nope. you're the Dean of, you're the Dean of big 12 and big eight, uh, coverage. Have you ever seen that in your days? Not even close. Not, not, no. I mean, Kansas state, of course, there've been seasons for Kansas state to, um, you know, to, that there were, you know, the championship years, right. But not for Kansas. That's, that's no unfathomable really. And, and listen, I, we're having this conversation and, and all, Due respect to Oklahoma State. I mean, we have, they they have actually played very well. Their win at Baylor uh, recently was as impressive uh, an outcome as as there's been in the Big Twelve this year. So maybe Oklahoma State is a sh- should be considered the favorite. But I, you know, I, I know it's it's a big party in Lawrence this weekend. But I really like TCU in that game. I, TCU might be the best team in the league. They might be, um, and. I would say of the top maybe five teams in the league, um, you could talk me into any of them. Um, I think right now my favorites would be Oklahoma State, 
and TCU. Um, Oklahoma State to go on the road and win at Baylor, I think, is very impressive. That was their nemesis last year. Spencer Sanders couldn't throw a completion against this team, and now they beat them. They're, they're out of the way. They're done with. I think that's a big win for them. I think they're the team to beat. But then after that, um, I mean, TCU looked great. They've looked great all season. But at the same time, Oklahoma might just be bad. I, you know, I, I think they're going to struggle to make a bowl game with that defense. I really do. Um, I think uh, Kansas State is uh, going to be in the mix. I think Texas, even though some people want to write them off, especially if they can get healthy at quarterback, I think they're still in the mix. Um, yeah, you, and, can't, uh, you can't ignore that Texas outcome against Alabama. I mean, they, 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 no. they, that was incredible, the, the, the way they played that day. Yeah, they got the thing about this, they got two losses. One was by a single point against Alabama, and the other was because they blew a fourth-quarter lead at Texas Tech and their All-American running back fumbles the ball inexplicably in overtime. So really, they're two plays away from being undefeated, and yet, uh, you know, some people just want to write them off into oblivion. I still still think they're alive. I still think Baylor's alive. Um, after that, it gets a little more wishy-washy. I, I, I mean, I'd maybe throw some couch change in Kansas to do it at, at the right odds, but I don't really think they're a contender. If they beat TCU, maybe maybe we have to start taking them more seriously. Uh, but then everybody else, you know, Oklahoma, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think they're going to factor into the mix. Uh, West Virginia, I would write off. Tech, I think maybe still has a slim chance, but I doubt it. But but think about this: we we legitimately have talked about like five, six teams being in the mix, and and there's really no lock. So it's going to be very very fun to watch this thing play out. No doubt about it. I wonder if at the end of the year we might see a a, a Big Twelve team with a 500 or winning overall record be left out of the bowls because there's. You know, there's so many, uh, there are going to be so many teams with good records this year, uh, 500 or better overall, with all the success they had in the uh, in the non-conference, and then the parity in the league play. So um, something to keep, I know we're not even halfway through the season yet, but something to keep an eye on um, as, as the season unfolds. Um, all right, Kellis, great conversation as always, and we will talk to you again next week. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Blair. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Monty Davis, Randy Mason, George Howard, and Jeff Rosen. A tip of the cap to Gary Bedore and Callis Robinette for sharing their college sports insights. 47 pages. That was today's morning sports edition crammed full of stories about college football, the NFL and the Chiefs, Major League Baseball, including Aaron Judge's 62nd home run this season, and the Royals, and so much more. Go to live edition. KansasCity.com for more information. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC. Podcast.